Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. I think we got it. There we go. How's everybody doing? Wow, people. Who knew that mattered so much? It's good to see you all. Thanks for being here. So what I'd like to do today is just spend a few minutes explaining the meaning of life. So I don't know how many of you would like to know. Maybe a good question to ask is, why are we here? Why are you here? How's that sense of who you are and what your purpose might be and what you're supposed to be doing? How's that going for you right now? Because there's a lot of angst. There's a lot of difficulty in knowing who we are and what we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be interacting and what we're supposed to be becoming. And the older you get, the more that seems to be more difficult, the more you sort of feel angsty about it, you know, because when you're younger, you sort of think, I got a lot of time to figure it out. My age, you're like, I should have known by now. Should have figured it out. The existentialists say, in order to have a meaningful, purposeful life, you have to infuse your own life with meaning. That's where meaning is found. Well, if I knew how to do that, I wouldn't be having a problem in the first place. I'd just infuse it. The biblical narrative has a very different story. You are a child of God. You have identity in Him. He has created purpose for you and in you. Even to the point of setting aside good works that He prepared in advance for us to do. That's a very different story. I may not fully understand it. I may not always be, you know, coherent with what God wants to do and is asking me to do or inviting me to do. But the narrative said it's there. It's present. I have to settle into it. I have to open my heart to it. I have to listen for it. I have to be attentive to it. But it's not all up to me. That that created for me is an identity and a purpose and a mission. So I want to think about that a little bit. In 2011, the movie Lucy came out. Morgan Freeman in one of the scenes is standing before a, a big auditorium in a, in a university. And he's speaking in that deep, resonant voice that he has. I mean, he's already played God. And he looks at the crowd and he says, this is the quote, It is estimated that most human beings only use 10% of their brain's capacity. Imagine if we could use 100%. Astonishingly, 65% of people in the United States believe that statement to be true, that we're only using 10% of our brains. The truth is, we use 100% of our brains all the time. Our brains never stop. Even when you're asleep, your brain, 100%, is doing meaningful work. Now, some of you... I mean, some of the reason that 65% of people in America believe that that statement is true is because we know people. 
But isn't it interesting how a little thing like that, I mean, it's not like Morgan Freeman started that myth. That was already going on, but he certainly, it shot up. But let me ask you this. What percentage of your spiritual capacity do you believe you're using? What percentage of the spiritual capacity do you believe that you're using? Because it seems to me that God has an intention in us that we might have life and that we might have it to the full. And I'm pretty sure that whenever I look at that equation and I say, God intends that I have life and have it. The thief comes only to steal and to kill, but I've come to the amount of 11 to the full. I, I don't figure that God is the one failing in that process. I figure I'm the one that's not quite getting in on it. I'm the one that's not quite understanding. I'm the one that has some deficit in understanding. And so I just want to think about that and what that looks like and what you think about that in the process. So, so think with me for a moment about the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And don't get freaked out. In fact, for these next few weeks, we're going to think about this story, unblock. What would it mean for you to unblock the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? And what is the biblical narrative that goes along with that? So if you stop for a moment and you just sort of analyze what's going on, I think what you and I do is we, we follow the story and the narrative pretty well, but then we reach this moment in the New Testament in which we stop the story and we just stay right there and we just leave it. And we're sort of content with how that story goes. And we don't ever let the story run on out. Because there is a story that needs to run on out. So if you were reviewing, you could go back and you could say, hey, the biblical story tells us that God created the world. And it's clear in the biblical narrative that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are present in this moment of creation. That, that when you even look at the Hebrew in the Genesis 1, you find that the reference to God is always plural. It's always the multi-set of God, the triune God, is always present in this story. And so then as it begins to unfold, the revelation builds and we get this understanding of who he is. There's a captivity for the children of Israel. There's deliverance. There's the law. We learn compassion. We, we, we learn justice. We learn mercy. There's this process by which the prophets contribute and the kings contribute. And there's an anticipation in the coming Messiah in which... Finally, the full character and understanding of God will be revealed in the Messiah, in this person of Jesus Christ. That's how the narrative goes. But it doesn't end there. Then comes the day of Pentecost on which this Holy Spirit and power is poured out on believers, on followers, on you, on me. And then the, the story then sort of begins to move. And I wonder what would happen to us if we simply said, I'm going to open my heart and my mind and my spirit, I'm going to unblock a little to allow the Holy Spirit to speak, to work, to empower. Dictionary.com defines foreshadowing as an indication of something that will happen in the future, often used as a literary device to hint at or allude to future plot developments. So I'm going to read you the first four verses of the Bible, and I want you to listen to the foreshadowing. I, I think the whole theology of Scripture is contained in the first four verses. <laughs> Everybody with me? With me online? Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. I, that could be my testimony. God did some creative stuff, but there was a whole lot of darkness, and it was formless and void. I mean, right now, if I said to you, what's your emotional state? Mm, formless and void. 
What's your mental work doing? Formless and void, chaotic. And the Spirit hovers over. And so this, this foreshadowing of here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a whole lot of formless and void and chaos. But the, but the Spirit of God hovers over and speaks into darkness. Anybody got a little darkness happening? Got a little darkness of thought, darkness of emotion, darkness of relationship, darkness of finances, darkness of culture, darkness of politics. And he stepped into the darkness and said, let there be light. And he saw that the light was good. Bring it on. Bring it on. And then he separated the light from the darkness. I think it's a foreshadowing of everything that's going to happen from now on. This is what he's doing. He's hovering over the chaos. He's bringing light into the darkness, and he's separating the light from the darkness. This is good. This is not good. We have trouble with that, don't we? I don't know about you, but the darkness keeps getting into the light, doesn't it? Like you buy a new car, and then you have to put gas in it. You know? Oh, I'm so... Oh. You know? Emotionally, we live in that space. John must have seen some powerful parallels between this creation narrative and his own gospel. He picks up the same images. Light, creation, life. Listen to what he writes, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Same theme, same idea, that this gospel now message is, is sort of that idea that this light has come into the darkness. There's this creative energy that hovers over the chaos and speaks into our lives and into our journey. We're going to talk in these next few weeks about John. So let me get this. You do understand that John, the writer of the gospel and of the epistles and of the book of Revelation, is John the disciple. But in his opening of his gospel, he talks a lot about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist and John the writer are not the same two people. Everybody on the same page? Because it gets very confusing in the first few chapters. John, John, there's a lot of Johns in the first few chapters. And you've got to figure out which one is which. And so what we're going to do in these next few weeks is we're going to trace the work and the understanding of the Holy Spirit according to John the writer. And of course it starts with John the Baptist. So as you think about that, just what is our understanding of the Spirit? And what does it look like? N.T. Wright observes that most of us don't fully grasp the deepest truths about the Spirit. And I think that makes sense. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who stood up in front of our theology class, and he said, tell me everything you know about Jesus. You can do that mentally right now. And I'm guessing it would take some time for you to say everything you know about Jesus. You know a lot about Jesus quite a number of pages written about him. There's a prophetic part. There's, there's, there's you know, uh, the virgin birth. There's the pronouncement. Of the, I mean, there's a lot. And so after that discussion, then he would look at us and say, tell me everything you know about the Holy Spirit. That was a much shorter conversation. And if I said that to you, tell me everything you know about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, uh, it's in the Bible. And I don't know if you know this, but human beings do not like mystery. They do not like the unknown. They like to define things. And one of the reasons we sort of freak out over the Holy Spirit is because a lot of weird liberties have been taken with the work of the Holy Spirit that are not contained in the Bible. 
And it makes us go, woo, I don't know. <laughs> because human beings do not like to leave it at a mystery. We want to talk about it. We want to define it. We want to get it all down. So then a lot of us pull away when the conversation about the Holy Spirit begins. We're like, whoa, is this going to get weird? Something strange going to happen here? But for you and I, when we stop and we think about what percentage of your spiritual capacity is engaged, the work of the Holy Spirit becomes incredibly important. Throw in there some crazy theologies like dispensationalism and these overarching theologies that try to explain the work of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you get this massive bit of confusion, which is clear biblically, that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together to accomplish the mission and purpose of God, and they always have from the moment of creation. And so in these weeks, I'm not so concerned that we learn some theology of the Holy Spirit. What I am concerned about is that you and I embrace the warmth and the companionship and the love and the empowering of the Holy Spirit to define who you are and who I am and what our purpose in the world might be. I thought it would be fun just for kicks to trace the work of the Holy Spirit through the whole Bible. So we're going to do that now in about three minutes. Everybody ready? Brace up. Here we go. Just so you know, the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit was present with Moses and the Exodus. Numbers eleven twenty four. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. And he brought together 70 of their elders. And he had them stand around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him. And he put it on the 70 elders. And when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they didn't do it again. So at this moment, what's going on is you've got this crazy thing that's going on in the Exodus, and now the children of Israel are growing, and there's a lot of stuff to do, and Moses can't get it all done, and his father-in-law says, you better get some help. And so he, he puts together 70 administrators to help administrate all the business that has to go on, and the Holy Spirit rests on them. Just, just a little administrators doing work. But the Holy Spirit is present in this moment to define. In the period of the judges, it was Gideon who encounters the Spirit, Judges 334. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew his trumpet, summoning the Abazarites to follow him. And so Gideon delivers the children of Israel, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit in this moment. 1 Samuel 10. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. And when he and his servant arrived at Gebeah, a procession of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. It infected the kings, this presence of the Spirit. When King David is lying on his deathbed, we read these words, 2 Samuel 23. These are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's song. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me, and his word was on my tongue. After the early prophets, we get into the prophets who begin then to anticipate the coming of the Messiah and what that will look like. Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. Notice the attributes. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, of might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. He'll delight in the fear of the Lord. He'll not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But his righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. 
42.1, Isaiah 42.1, here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from prisoner, uh, from prison for the, for release from prison for the prisoners. <laughs> That verse, Isaiah 61.1, is the very verse that Jesus uses in the synagogue when he stands up to read from Isaiah, and then he sits down and rolls up the scroll and says, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. The presence of the Holy Spirit as a part of the active work of God throughout the history of the biblical narrative. That was quick enough, wasn't it? <laughs> Doesn't end there. It might carry on into one more anticipation, Joel 2.28, and afterward... I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. And it seems to me that, that so often in the life of the church, we end the story with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then we check in with Jesus. We go live our lives. We go do our thing. And then we go over and we check in with it. It's like memorial Jesus. We come and we visit and talk to this Jesus who sacrificed for us and we are moved by that story that so loved the world that he sent his son. We get that. We understand the passion and the resurrection of Jesus. It's the center point of our theology. The great deliverance of Exodus in the Old Testament is held up on that second pillar, the great deliverance of Jesus through the resurrection. But the story doesn't end at that moment. It moves it keeps going forward. And the next part of the story is the story that involves you and I at such an intimate level. To understand what John the Baptist is talking about, you've got to back up a little because John the writer doesn't tell us the whole story about the baptism. So that's what we're going to do quickly. We're going to talk about Matthew and the, and the actual event of what happened. And then we're going to jump into John's commentary. Okay, everybody with me? So John the writer standing next to John the Baptist who does the baptizing of Jesus and then John the Baptist says, here's what I was thinking and this is what's going on and then this happened and then that happened. Okay, well, with it, so John the writer is writing the account of John the Baptist of this event that now Matthew records. Clear as mud. Matthew 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now John the Baptist, speaking to John the writer, tells us what he was thinking. John 1, 26. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man comes after me who has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with waters was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from, him, from heaven as a dove and remain on him. 
This becomes pretty important. It's in chapter 1 of John's writing because he wants us to understand that this moment, this descending and remaining of the Spirit is what finally identifies the Messiah. It is this moment that John now says, okay, I get it. I know who you are. Professor Mary Ellen Pereira writes these words, but the role of the Holy Spirit expended far beyond that of simply identifying Jesus as the expected Messiah. The Spirit also remained with him. This becomes especially significant as we know that it was the Spirit that empowered the message of Jesus. Just as God sent Jesus to proclaim the message of salvation, God also sent the fullness of the Spirit to empower the proclamation of Jesus, even in the midst of people who would reject his message. So the Spirit descended on Christ. The identity of the Messiah is all about the descent and remaining of the Spirit. But John doesn't stop his commentary there. Then John the Baptist, as recorded by John the writer, says these words, And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The one on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So this moment becomes this time in which already at the opening of John's gospel, we're hearing this. The one on whom this spirit that was present with creation and present with Moses and present with the judges and present with the prophets and present with the kings who has been foreshadowed and talked about and anticipated came and rested on the Messiah. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't with Jesus long before this. It just means that there is a moment of identity when everybody goes, hey, just so you know, this is him. Just so you know, this is him. And just so you get clear, the Spirit descended and remained. And this one that I baptize with water, he will baptize with the Spirit. And you ought to begin to anticipate that there's something else coming. That there's something important happening. Acts 2. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Like, that's impossible. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now listen to this. Pereira, the professor, continues. The very spirit that participated in the ministry of Jesus is the same Holy Spirit that participates in the lives of Christians today. Rather than reacting with unwarranted skepticism concerning the character of the spirit, we should realize that the Holy Spirit was a welcome presence to the earthly life of Jesus as one who intimately did and understood the work of God. I think what I would say is that maybe you and I, for just a moment, could just let that sink in. That the spirit that was present in the narrative, and that Jesus relied on to carry, empower, to give insight and understanding in the life of his ministry, is the exact same spirit that is available to you and to me today. And how often do we sit in that space? How often is our mentality is that we will go and check in with God. We will go and check in with Jesus. How's that going for you? 
Because I don't know about you, but when I start to think about the chaos of the world, and I think about the darkness over which I would like God to hover and bring light and separate light from darkness, because let's be honest, it's hard to discern light from darkness. I mean, not out there on the edges, but over in the middle where it gets gray. It's hard. Oh, there's always people defining it. I mean, right here in the life of the Christian church, right here in Montrose Church, there's always folks defining it, choosing sides and pointing fingers, being ungracious to one another. Ought not be. Maybe instead of judging, we ought to sit back and say, you know what? Jesus didn't even judge by what he saw and what he heard. He judged by something that indwelled him, by the very presence and power of God the Father active in his life. How much more for me? If, if Jesus needed to have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit walk with him, how much more me? If Jesus needed the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to give him the strength to walk the journey he had to walk, how much more me? If Jesus needed the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to give him discernment, how much more me? When I was 13 years old, I had a teacher in my school, and you couldn't do this now, but she uh, came to a group of us, and she explained that she went to a church, and that that church was on TV. Well, you know, that was the early 70s, so there weren't a lot of churches on TV at the time. And she said, I, I think you guys should all come and go to church with me one night, where they're recording the TV show, and, and uh, you can be on TV. Well, I mean, I was figuring I was about to get my big break. <laughs> I always wanted to be a televangelist, and... So uh, a group of us went, a group from our class, went with her to her church being recorded for TV. And it started out fairly normal. And then it got really weird. And people started getting slain in the spirit and laying on the floor. And things were happening. And for a 13-year-old kid, me and the Holy Spirit started a weird relationship. <laughs> Amen? Amen? And then they came for me. <laughs> I, I would have done almost anything to get out of there. And I think for a lot of us, we've seen or heard or something's happened in a way that we we may not really feel like we understand, but we know it's odd or weird, and we hold a lot of things at a distance, and we've blocked some things. But it seems to me that I need the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in my life if I'm going to understand who I am and what my purpose is. Because I do not believe that it is up to me to go infuse life with meaning. It's up to me to discern what God's purpose is for me. And I'm guessing that in this room with the diversity of ages, in watching online, 
Some of us are at a stage in our life, which by the way, you know, your purpose and meaning in Christ and all the future and all that when you're 20 doesn't last very long before you need to re-up. Amen? I mean, maybe it lasts till you get married and then you've got to figure out something else. If you have not yet figured out something else, you should work on it. I mean, if you're still living on your, when you're 20-year-old philosophy of life, Maybe you need to bump that 10% up a little. And then your philosophy of life and your, your sense of purpose and your sense of identity and worth, that lasts until you have a child or two. And up until that moment, you have a lot of theories and no children, and then you have children and no theories. <laughs> Amen? Because it isn't simple, is it? And then some of us didn't learn our lesson, and we had not just two, but three or four. Because we were just daring God to give us some purpose in life. And then you get to be 50. Suddenly, you go, you go to sleep, and you're 20, and you wake up, and you're 50. And your eyes don't work, and your body doesn't work. And that gets worse. And a lot of people, what they do is go, well, I had a purpose. I got a call of God when I was 20, and I'm living in that call. No, you're not. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is to give you identity today, for today, for right now, for the mission and purpose of your life today. When you're 20, when you're 30, when you're 40, when you're 50, when you're 60, when you're 90, when you're 118, even after you're dead, the purpose of the Holy Spirit continues to drive our identity and our purpose and our mission. Amen? And I don't know about you, I need that. I need it in days like this. I need it in the middle of a pandemic. I need the indwelling of the Spirit to give me identity. Maybe you do too. Purpose, mission, calling. Which, by the way, I don't know if you're picking up on this. The pandemic has damaged the church. Amen. We've got to rebuild it. Amen. I have no doubt that God has purpose in it. But it's going to take work, commitment. We've got to get back on track. I, it's going to take some time. We're not all there yet. I get it. There's still a pandemic. It's still happening. But we've got to rebuild the church. Some things are worth our energy, our effort, and our commitment. And I need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to explain to me my purpose. I need some indwelling spirit to heal some things in me. Amen? I don't know what you've been through these last few months through this process, but there is hurt, real wounds. Just in this week, watching Afghanistan and imagining what people are going through is a deep wound. And the fires. And the fires in Haiti and politics and culture and arguments. And it's not just out there. It's in here. It's in our own homes, in our own families. We just don't all agree on stuff. And that creates deep wounds in us. Not everything works the way it's supposed to. And it hurts 
And I'll tell you what I want. I want the Holy Spirit to get busy and fix stuff, and then I'll feel well-adjusted. But that is not what the Scripture suggests. Scripture suggests that I am to allow the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to guide me so that in whatever circumstances I face, I have both the strength, identity, and resolve to walk that journey. I mean, I could just give God the laundry list and go, hey, can you get on this? Because as soon as you, you don't even have to get them all. Eight out of ten. And, I'll, and then I'll be happy. I'll be content. But here they are. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, you're doing your check-in, aren't you? You're doing your check-in, aren't you? You just came over here to get a little something-something and you're going to go do your life again. No, no. The very spirit that inhabited the life of Christ is available to inhabit you, to walk with you, to indwell you, and to heal some of that hurt. I need some indwelling spirit to build up my strength. I need some indwelling spirit to guide and inform and reveal my purpose and my usefulness. How useful do you feel? God has a purpose for your worth and usefulness. I need some indwelling spirit to speak to my spirit that I am a child of God, that I am safe, that I am loved, that I am a part of God's purpose and God's plan. I need some indwelling spirit to hover over the waters of my own heart and my own mind and my own life. And bring order out of the chaos and light to the darkness and separate the light from the darkness. Romans 8.14 For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves again so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed share in His suffering, in order that we may also share in His glory. I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and we're going to close, and we're going to sing those words together about our identity. I'm no longer a slave to fear. And my prayer as we make this journey together over these next few weeks is that you just open your heart and unblock some things and say, you know, Holy Spirit, I don't want to check in with you from time to time. I want you to indwell me. I want to wake up in the morning and feel that sense of presence. I I want to lean into you and ask you and invite you and have you search me and know me and that your will would be done in me on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you help us? We need you in this moment. We need not to come here to observe you. Not to come today to learn some history of the Holy Spirit, though it matters. To recognize that the biblical narrative would not be the biblical narrative. The creation of the world would not be the creation of the world except for the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. And that somehow in your divine wisdom... In providence, you unleashed that power into our lives. Forgive us when we ignore it. Forgive us when we fail to make ourselves available. 
in these weeks, we, we, we simply want to unblock you. Unblock your work, unblock your spirit, unblock your voice. Would you sensitize our hearts, our minds, our ears, our spirits, so we resonate in that space? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear so, so as we walk out from this place, we're not just making it up, we're, we're genuinely experiencing the indwelling presence and power of the very same spirit that inhabited and remained with Christ. It's our identity in you. So here are our words of response and praise. Do the work that needs to be done in the lives represented here online. Those who will watch in the days ahead, we invite you to do your work. I pray your grace, blessing, and power, and providence that you'll speak order out of the chaos and light into the darkness, and you'll separate light from darkness over all of these who listen. And I pray it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.